is up to something, the hour in which we live. But if you will open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 14, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Pray for me tonight that my voice will make it through this. The Lord's going to help us declare the word of the Lord tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, say oh no. I got a few oh no's. Amen. First Samuel 14, we're going to begin in verse 1. Now it came to pass upon a day, turn to your neighbor and say, upon a day, turn to your other neighbor and say, a certain day, that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost parts of Gilbrae until uh, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Itub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, and the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sine. And the forefront of one was situated northward, Toward Mish- Mishmash and the other southward against Gilbrey. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of the uncircumcised, of these uncircumcised, and it may be that the Lord will work for us. For there is no restraint. There is no restraint. Say restraint. There is no hindrance. It's what that word means in the original language. There is no hindrance to the Lord to save by many or by few. Let us pray tonight. God, we come before you. We thank you for your word and its anointing. We thank you that it is alive and it is well and it's still speaking to us today. And God, I ask that your anointed would come down and your Holy Spirit would preach instead of me. And I ask, Lord God, that we would be attentive to hear what your word has to say. And Lord, that we would be sure to apply it to our lives. And Lord, that we would be encouraged tonight. Knowing, Lord, that there is victory in the name and in the blood and in the power of Jesus. And we thank you, God, for your resurrection. And we thank you that you're sinning. On your throne and you're alive and well today. We love you and we praise you. And the church says, Amen. Amen. So this may not be a familiar passage for some tonight. And it may be a familiar passage for others. But 
I want to quickly give you a backstory to where we are in this situation. We find in the previous chapter, this is not long after Saul has been made king, and we find that he is going to war with the Philistines. He will begin to war with the Philistines, and there will be war between the Israelites and Philistines for decades to come. We find that, uh, that in verse 3 of chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, we find that, that Jonathan, which is commanding about a thousand men at that time, he was separated from his father and they were going about fighting the enemies of Israel. And Jonathan smote and, and defeated the Philistines in a very, very strategic battle. And Saul begins to, as you go through the beginning portions of that chapter, begins to declare, listen, we've beat the Philistines. Look at what we have done. We've accomplished so much. But his celebration is premature because the Philistines say, listen, you haven't seen the best of us yet. You have not seen our full military might. And they assemble 30,000 chariots and 6,000 uh, free horsemen to raid and Bombard the children of Israel, and they get them cornered in this place called Gibeah, which I mispronounced multiple times in our text tonight. But you have to forgive me; I'm not Jewish, and I, I don't I don't speak Hebrew. Um, but uh, in Gibeah, they, they find themselves uh, cornered, and in a specific place in Gibeah called Migron, and and they're there, and they're just in a terrible situation. The Bible says that when the Philistines, in verse five of chapter thirteen, gathered and showed this military might, uh, that in the next few verses it says that the the men of Israel saw that they were in a or they were in distress or they were in trouble is what that word means and then the people hid themselves in caves so the people began to disperse I just want to show you real quickly they began this chapter with 3,000 men but now they're cornered and everybody is fleeing from Saul and Jonathan everybody is terrified because what is 3,000 in the sight of over 36,000 what kind of comparison is to be made there and we find that men begin to hide in caves uh, and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and even in pits. Uh, and some of the Hebrews go over to the other side of the Jordan to flee uh, from, the, from the Philistines. And then there is a select few uh, that come to Saul and Jonathan uh, and they are found there trembling before the enemy. It is, it, it, this chapter started off with this great victory, but now the people... People of God are trapped in this place called Migron. They're trapped in this place of trouble. The Bible says, excuse me, that they, were, they knew they were in a pickle. They knew they were in a situation. They were in a dire situation. And, and the Bible, that, that word straight, it does translate to the word trouble. But migron, the name, that name that they found themselves at, when you translate it as well, it can mean to be on the precipice or on the edge. They were on edge. They knew that it was about to be over. Saul had not been king and 
and the Israelites had not been a kingdom that long and they were on the edge of destruction. They were on the brink of annihilation and that word migraine can also be found as the word troubled in some places in scripture. So they were in a state of trouble in their hearts and in their minds but they were also in a place of trouble. This was a dire situation. They were facing extinction but not only that they found themselves against a mighty Philistine army that had sent and dispatched raiders to go around the surrounding communities and destroy all the blacksmith shops. You say what what does that have to do with anything? With no blacksmith there can be no weapons and we'll find as you go through 1 Samuel 13 toward the end of that chapter you will find that no one had any swords no one had any spears out of 600 men Saul looked around he once had 3,000 men looks around and he rallies 600 men is all he can find and they have no weapons out of 600 men there are only two that are even carrying a sword it's a dire situation They're in a state, a mindset of trouble, but they're also in a place of trouble. But we find in our scripture tonight that even on the edge, even on the brink, that there are two men with swords. There is Saul who has a sword and there is Jonathan who has a sword. The Bible tells us uh, through Scripture and in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and verse 17, and take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Out of 600 people of God, only two men had a word. And one we find at the beginning of our passage that I read to you tonight in First in First Samuel fourteen, one is sitting under a pomegranate tree, and he is just he's given up. He has embraced. Saul has embraced the fact that we're cornered. That it's over. My kingdom will never prosper. This 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 enemy is too great for me to face. And I want you to know that there are many Christians in the church. Church of America today uh, with the enemy bombarding us uh, in such a way. I don't know if you've watched the news recently, uh, but there's nothing but garbage on there. Uh, we got people coming out with Satan shoes. We got people coming out giving lap dances to the devil. I'm just being honest with you tonight. Uh, perversion has never been more open uh, than it has been now. Uh, and then we have this church. Uh, we have the church of Christ that's within this nation. Uh, and they're trying so hard uh, to combat There's people in this house uh, that have been praying for years and years uh, for revival and restoration and for things to change. Uh, But I want you to know uh, that in recent days I feel that many have been like Saul uh, and say, I'll just sit here. Uh, The enemy's too strong. Uh, It's too great. Uh, The enemy has infiltrated America and its government, its its policies, its its nature, its social uh, activities, its culture. The the enemy is too implanted uh, for us to do anything. So Saul was one of the men sitting with the word, uh, sitting with the sword, uh, sitting with the possibility and potential in his hands. uh, And he says, you know what? I'm going to sit this one out. I don't know what to do. The Bible tells us in chapter 13 that they had been there for over seven days at least. 
at the least, they had been there seven days, trapped at Migron, trapped on the edge, trapped in trouble, trapped in distress, trapped in fear. And their king, the man of God, the anointed one, is under the pomegranate tree in the place of trouble. And he's not willing or able to do anything. I want to tell you a quick story. Cameron's going to love this story because it's history. July 2nd, 1863. The Battle of Gettysburg is in its height. The Confederate Army is trying to flank the Union Army. They can work down their line to get around them so they can capture the entire and destroy the entire Union Army and then march on Washington, D.C. And at the end of the line stood one regiment, the 20th, reg- the 20th of Maine, that stood on the edge of what they called the fish hook. They were the last line of defense. And history tells us, I I was doing some more research, more in-depth research today, Brother Wade. Within 15 minutes, most of, of Colonel Joshua Chamberlain's men were already out of ammunition. They they were already out of ammunition and the enemy kept coming up the hill and coming up the hill at the Battle of Little Round Top. And the enemy would just come and bombard and come and bombard. He was losing men left and right. He was losing officers left and right. Men didn't know what to do. Men didn't know what their orders were. It was chaos all around. It was literally bombs bursting in air. It was blood. It was was all the filthiness and, and, and the goriness of war that you could imagine. And he finally finds himself with, with, at, the, at the last resort, at the end of his rope, at the edge. Uh, and he begins to give the order throughout his command, those that are left. Uh, and he says, we have no choice. Uh, because if we lose this battle, if we lose this position, uh, it's all over. And he tells his men, I know you don't have bullets. Uh, I know that you don't have ordinary weapons. Uh, but I'm going to ask you to fix your bayonets uh, and prepare to charge uh, right into the teeth of the enemy. Why? Because we are America's last hope. Uh, We are our fellow soldiers' last resort. Uh, Many brave men fought that day. uh, But at the end of the line, the 20th of Maine began to shout uh, and began to scream with a cry of battle and began to charge down that hill uh, and push the enemy back. Uh, They were taking prisoners uh, and they didn't even have any ammo to hold the prisoners Uh, the prisoners had no idea that they were being watched uh, by guns that didn't have any ammo you say what what does that mean tonight Uh, what what does that mean for the church Uh, yes there were some uh, that were telling him we've got to retreat Uh, we've got to get out of here Uh, we've got to do something else we just have to figure it out Uh, but there was someone there was something deep inside uh, of Colonel Joshua Chamberlain that said no uh, we will 
will make our last stand here. We will go down fighting. We will not let the enemy push us back. Tell us how to live. We will not see the destruction of our nation. He stood in the gap and said, you're not having my children. You're not teaching my nation about the horrors of slavery. But I want you to know that there's a greater slavery than what is is physical shackles. It's terrible, I know. But there is a spiritual slavery that is on this nation. And there's only a church that is standing in the gap and saying, Devil, you can't have my children. Devil, you can't have Connorsville. Devil, you can't have these young people. You can't have the call of God. You can't have the anointing of God on my life. And we see that Jonathan, why his father was saying, it's over. It's done. He says, I feel like I still got a word in my hand. I feel like I have a little bit of fight left in me. I feel like there's still a little anointing flowing through my veins. I feel like God wants to do something here. He turns to his manservant. He turns to his armor bearer. And he said, today is the day. I will not. I will not wait here any longer. I will not stand here and look at defeat. But we're going forward because I believe God's giving us the victory. We see that Jonathan... He says, man, I just feel, you can just almost hear his sincerity in his voice. I feel... Like we need to cross over to the other side. I, I, I sense uh, that nothing will restrain or hinder God from delivering us. I feel that the word in my hand, the sword in my hand uh, is more than enough. I feel what God has given me is more than enough. Yes, uh, the army may not have weapons. Uh, Colonel Chamberlain may not have bullets. Uh, but he said, what we have is enough. Church, I want to encourage you tonight. You may be downtrodden. You may feel weak in your spirit. You may have not prayed like you've used to pray. You may haven't felt the spirit in a long time. You feel like you get into a service. Everybody's crying. Everybody's getting blessed. But I want to encourage you tonight. What God has given you is still enough for the gates of hell not to prevail over your life. But I want to ask you a question. The children of Israel stood on the brink. They stood on the edge. They stood on the precipice. They stood in a mindset of trouble, in a place of trouble. For days on end. The Bible tells us in the first verse of chapter 14. Now it came to pass upon a day. There came a day, Pastor. Where Jonathan said, how long will we live like this? How long will we live in defeat? How long will we put up with the bombardment of the enemy? How long will we put up with sin in our lives? How long... Will we put up with fear, vexing ourselves and our children? How long? How long will we put up?
up with depression and anxiety. How long will we sit in the church pew and say, I hope God moves me today. How long will we say, now God, you need to do something. God, you need to move. God, you need to do something. How long will we sit on the sidelines and watch a generation die and go to hell? How long will we sit like Saul and saying it's too bad? I prayed all I can pray. I fasted all I could fasted. The man of God preached to us Sunday morning about a holy desperation. I'm sorry. The church has to get back to a place where they'll say, I will not sit here any longer and watch the enemy have his way in my worship, in my prayer life, in these young people's life. How long will you put up with the devil running all over your children in your home? How long, young people, will you listen to garbage? How long will you watch garbage? How long will you put this world into your ears and then come into church and say, oh, I want the victory. I tell you, you'll have no victory. There is no power without purity. There's so many that will say, well, I'll just sit here and I just want, as the the man of God preached, I just want a genie in a bottle. I want God to show up uh, and I just make all my problems go away. He said, listen, uh, he told them before he ascended into heaven, Jesus didn't say, uh, you know what? Uh, The road's going to be smooth for you. It's going to be easy for you. There's going to be beautiful flowers all along the way. No, he didn't say, I'm going to just bring you out of everything that you're not going to go through any tests and trials. This is what he promised. Uh, No matter what you go through, I will be with you always even until the end of the age. We look at the situation so so often. We look at the, the overwhelming odds so often. We forget how big our God really is. We lose sight. We lose sight of victory because we allow the enemy to have availability in our minds. I'll tell you. I want to ask you tonight, uh, how long will the church of Jesus Christ uh, give the, devil his, the devil's word more credibility in their life uh, than the word of God? How long will we sit and say, oh, I'm just too insignificant. Uh, I can never do it. Uh, I know I'm called, but I'll never step in it. I'm just too afraid. Uh, And we're believing the lies of the enemy over what the Word of God has already told us. Uh, You see, Jonathan had the sword. Uh, He had the Word. Uh, And when they came at him with failures, uh, when they came at him with, when the enemy tried to come at him with his insufficiency, uh, he said, I don't know about you, uh, but nobody else has a Word. Uh, My father has a word and he's sitting it out. I'm the only one that's got a word. I'm the only one that's got the availability. The person in your that you work with, you may be the only person that will ever be able to deposit anything in their life. You may be the only Jesus they ever see. But you have to decide right here and right now how long will I hold my tongue and not tell them about the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the love of Jesus. How long will I sit here and just say well God I'll just wait for an open door I tell you this God spoke to me in prayer last night and he said how long will my church stand in front of an open door and not walk through it there is an opportunity right now there's so so much uncertainty in our world people need to hear the message of hope people need to hear of a revival people need to hear of restoration people need to hear about a savior that bled in 
man died so that they could not have, so they could have everlasting life and they would not be vexed by death. They would not be worried about what's to come, but they would look forward to it. How long? How long? There came a day and Jonathan said, this is the day. I've been on the edge too long. I've been in fear and trouble too long. Today is the day. Church, what I want to tell you tonight is that there's often times, excuse me, there's often times we're saying, God, what, what are you going to do? And listen, I know there's seasons of waiting. I, I know that those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. I understand that. But I, I, I want you to understand also that in Judges chapter 6, the Israelite people, Brother Ryan, they... They stood and watched their harvest taken for seven years by the Midianite and the, and, and the Amorite or the Amalekite raiders. They watched for seven years everything that they'd sowed into, poured blood, sweat, and tears into. They saw it taken. And it took seven years, Sister Mary. The Bible tells us seven years before anyone cried out to God. Seven years. How long? And when the angel of the Lord showed up to Gideon, he said, where have you been, God? What have you been doing? We've heard all these great and mighty things. We've heard all these And what God began to reveal to him is, listen, you've been waiting on me, but what you don't realize is that I've been waiting on you. I've been waiting for you to get to the place where you say, I can no longer live this way. I can no longer come to church and just leave the same way I came. I can no longer go to my prayer closet uh, and just go through my, uh, my everyday ritual and read down my list uh, and just say, oh God, thank you Jesus for your faithfulness and walk out uh, and not walk out with any power or any anointing on my life. Uh, I'm sorry, but my prayer life has to change. Uh, the way I preach has to change. Uh, the way I study has to change. Uh, the way I operate uh, in ministry has to change. Why? Because how long, how long, God began to ask me, how long? How long will you settle for the mundane? How long will you settle for the natural? I blessed you. I've given you the ability. I've given you the Holy Spirit of God without measure to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. How long will we lay hands on the sick and see nothing happen? How long will we wait for revival to come? Church, I'll tell you this. God is willing. God is wanting. But are we willing to get up off of our Get out of our get out get out of our tradition. Get out of our religiosity and step into the prayer closet as the man of God preached this last Sunday and said, God, I won't let you go until you bless me. God is asking us to do something. God is asking us to do something. Somebody needs to move. Someone needs to get through. Someone needs to break through tonight. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 7, Samaria is surrounded 
by an enemy king. And the people are starving and they're dying within the walls of the city. And there were some lepers that stood at the gate. And the Bible begins to depict us their situation. And they began to say to one another, if we stay here, we'll die. And if we go over there and fight, we may die. But we have a better chance of going this way than going back this way. What, what I'm trying to tell you tonight is like the song the choir sang. I, I could go back to the way it used to be. Listen, the children of Israel in our text tonight, they were in a bad situation. They could go back into bondage like they were under the judges. They could go back to slavery. They could go back to the chains. They could go back to losing everything that they put hard work in and labor into, or they could go forward and experience the freedom of God. I want you to know, just as those lepers marched towards the Assyrian army, I want you to know if we will just go forward tonight, if we will just go with God, if we will believe and have faith in the God we say we believe and have faith in, I tell you tonight, I want to encourage you tonight that God will make a way. How long? How long? They were out of weapons. They had no resources. But my Bible tells me that the weapons of my warfare are what? They are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, the Bible tells us and shows us here in this text that this place where the Philistines were camped, this, this mishmash or, or whatever you want to call it, it, it translates to be hidden. But it also translates to be memory and things stored up. You say, what does that have to do with anything? The enemy that we're fighting is a sneaky adversary. He's hidden in movies. He's hidden in songs you listen to. He's hidden when you're working with your co-workers. He's, he remains under, under wraps. But his goal is clear. When you translate that city's name back to its origin, its goal is clear to bring back memories to bring up what God has brought you from and to tell you that God has not delivered you from them. So when Jonathan was going forward with the sword in hand, he was going to this mishmash and he was going there finding the memories, fighting all the things, that the, all the failures, all the shortcomings, but it didn't stop him because he said, I just feel like God wants to deliver us today because he refused to stay in the mess that he found himself in. They'll come to the music tonight. See, church... This enemy is so hidden, even in your own life, working, buffeting your flesh. So often we don't even realize. I caught myself, me, me and my wife, we, we were talking over, over dinner and, and, and there was just an, just an odd feeling. 
that was trying to come over me. And I, I looked at my wife and I said, listen, I said, I know what this is. I thank God this is not, Pastor, it's just, I thank God that as we draw closer to him, we grow in him. And I, Sister Mary, I said, I know exactly what this is and I ain't doing this today. I looked at her, I said, well, I'm not going there. We're not going there. I said, I know exactly what trap the enemy's trying to lay for us. We've had situations and circumstances that, that no one needs to know about. And we've looked at each other, Brother Chris, and we've said, we know exactly what the enemy's trying to do right here. We know exactly what's going on. Why do you think God's wanting to do this? Because he's put a word in our hand. He's saying, listen, everybody's backing up. Everybody, I mean, everybody's running away. But I keep asking myself, Brother Ryan, I keep asking myself, how long? Young people, how long will you say, I know I'm called, but I refuse to walk in that calling? How long will you be afraid of the opinions of others? How long will you want to conform instead of being transformed? I'm preaching to you in my heart tonight. How long? How long? Will you sit in your bedroom and let the enemy whisper lies and you believe them? How long will you allow the enemy to convince you that you're not an overcomer? That you're not more than a conqueror? That Christ is not before you? How long will we give life to lies? The thing you deal with over and over and over again. I believe it begins to come back around and back around. Why? Because you, you, you're giving it life. The bitterness, you're giving it life. The unforgiveness, you're giving it life. Because you're bringing it up. The lust, you're giving it life. Because of what you watch. The pride, you're giving it life because you see how many likes are on your Instagram page. Parents, the intimidation, not only to be parents, but to be who God's created you to be. Because there's many of you under the sound of my voice tonight that are called beyond a shadow of a doubt, but are too afraid and intimidated to step into what God's called you. How long will you give it life? How long will you say, well, I've been abused. I'm not good enough. I'm just being honest. Well, I've, just, I've been done wrong and I, I can't get over it. Church, we're on the edge. We're, we're looking, we're looking, oh, well, I just, I can and, you know, it's too hard and I'm just going to step... No. No. 
How long will you look at the edge and not turn around and say, you know what, there's an adversary over there. And I know that the Bible says that Goliath talked about how good he was for 40 days. And a boy put him out of Israel's misery. How long will you see yourself as a loser instead of seeing yourself as a champion through the blood of Jesus Christ? I don't care how big or how great the obstacle is. I want to go forward. Jonathan said, today's the day. Young person, today's the day. I know we just got out of youth conference, and, and it's great when a thousand people are jumping up and down and, and hooping and hollering. It's awesome. It's great. It, it, it feels great to see that other people feel and believe the same way you do. But, but all that's over now. And the enemy's coming. And you have to discern, what am I going to give life to? Am I going to give life to the lies, or am I going to live in the abundant life that Jesus Christ has given me? If you'll stand across this house... The enemy remains hidden, but remember that we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. Church, we have to do something. I, I, I don't know why in the American church, we, we, Brother Wade, we've gotten to this place where we feel that, well, if I just go to church, God will do it all. He said, no, seek me first and my righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, my purity, my holiness. Then I will add all these. There's something for us to do. There's something for us to do. We quote all the time. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and what? Pray. What's Pray. In the English language, I believe that's a verb. It's an action. So, what God was saying is, you have to do something. He didn't just say, I'm going to show up and heal your land. But He said, if you will pray, if you will do something. You say, well, I'm praying. Let's go deeper. You can say, well, Brother Jade, I'm worshiping. Let's go deeper. Well, I'm called to preach. I wish you would preach. Well, I'm called to be an intercessor. I would wish you'd come to the house of God or go into your inner closet and just intercede. How long? Listen, I know many have prayed. I know many have fasted. But there's something more we got to tap into. There's a deeper level we have to go. There's a relationship that we, we, we think we know God, but he's saying, there's so much more of me I want to show you. I want to know where the Clary Evanses are at. Where's the, where's the women of God that will stand up like they did in the Welsh revival like Sister Clary did and say, I just want to say, I love Jesus. Where's the William Seymour's and the Charles Parham's that will come to the world and say there's more than, than what we have. The Holy Ghost wants to take us to places we've never been. The first time William Seymour preached that message, they padlocked the church doors. But he said, it's all right, I'll, I'll go to a house. I'll preach, 
I'll preach the Holy Spirit in a house. And because of his dedication, because he said, I believe there's something on the other side of this. There was the Azusa Street Revival. Where's the Jonathans at? Where's the Esthers? Esther was, her, her people had their backs up against the wall. Mordecai said, you have to do something. How long will you wait? The Bible is not full of people that were actionless. But it was full of catalysts that said, if no one else wants to be the change, I'll be the change. If no one else wants to live right, I'll live right. If no one else wants to listen to music that will uplift and encourage my spirit, I'll listen to it. The world is looking for political leaders to fix a problem that politics cannot fix. The world is looking to drugs and alcohol to get a feeling of happiness and hope that will just fade away. How long will we sit called but not in action? How long will we sit under the pomegranate tree instead of facing the fears, facing all, all the things the enemy has thrown at us? To have the rain and the sound of the abundance of rain that Elijah heard and saw, he first had to confront the prophets of Baal. Before revival and restoration came to the land and the drought was over, there had to be confrontation. So I ask you tonight, how long? Confront it. Saul refused to confront it. He had the ability. He had the sword. He had the word. He had the ability and the anointing to confront it. But he chose not to. So Jonathan stepped up and said, I'll confront it. I'll go right at the enemy. And they went from being on the brink to becoming a kingdom. The battles at Gettysburg. There was many sacrifices made. But many will say, the 20th of Maine, Colonel Chamberlain said, what we have left is enough. They believe that last stand is what turned the tide of the battle. So what... what what are you holding back? How long will you sit on the side? Hi everybody, this is Pastor Jade Abrams here. I want to thank you for joining us today. And I also want you to connect with us. You can find us on all the social media platforms listed below. And we would love to catch up with you, hear what God has spoke to you, and continue to follow us. And we love you and God bless you.